Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. So too often we hear this is your favourite day of the week, Ollie Geel, but you know what? I have to say I'm pretty excited about it. For the first time, you've given me the opportunity to, to let loose and to run this show. And I'm going to take it. I'm trying to embrace it with both hands. So, yes, it's this week. We are on the Two Sharp Reds with myself, Mark Schwarzer, and Ollie Gill, who's going to take a back seat for a change. Thank goodness, because his head is so massive. Um, and if you haven't listened to us before, it's all about drinking wine, com- comparing a bottle of wine that either Ollie or myself drink together or separately at the moment. Because of COVID, we're separate. And uh, we have a taste of it. We describe a little bit, talk about what it does for us, what parts of the the, the palate it tingles the most. And then obviously at the end, we compare it to a footballer or somebody involved in football, past or present. So yeah, Ollie, welcome. Yeah, what did you think of my introduction this week? Uh, your introduction, Mark, was was pretty good, but it's really the build-up that I like the most. Just what you like, you were nervous. Like that was uh that was almost like watching you in, in the tunnel before a game, like just, you know, going through your rituals, you know, don't want to look anyone in the eye, that kind of thing. Like you were laser focused then for that intro. You've just really made that up, haven't you? Because you've never known what I've done in a tunnel before a game because oh, well, I was never one to stand there and not look someone in the eye because I felt nervous enough not to do that. Were you so a joker? Or you just, were you a... See, you don't even know. So you, no, how I'm can you compare that with me pre to a match? Just assuming. I just feel, oh, I feel like you're the, you're the type of guy to just be laser focused. That's a compliment. I, I was focused, absolutely. But it wasn't like I was so focused that I couldn't do anything else. Right, um, okay. I can multitask. Well, I'm excited this week. And half the reason why I wanted you to do the intros, because, you know, when you talk about multitasking, not only have you been able to do the intro, but you've also remembered to turn your microphone on this week. So... I think we're in for a really good episode. Well, yeah, in my defense, we've only just realized, I only just realized it, um, that on this whole Zoom thing, you have to make sure that when you have a plug-in microphone, for anyone out there who's yeah. never done this before, um, yeah. or do plug their microphone and think that they're using the actual microphone they're plugged in, but in reality, you're not, unless you change the settings yourself manually. Well, let's, uh, let's tick the wine off and then we can get stuck into the football because mentioning Arsenal, I'm sure, uh, as you would be well aware, I think we've got a fair bit we need to cover off. Uh, but this week I'm going for a Coonawarra Cabernet from South Australia. Picked a South Australian wine not only because I really like it, but also my mum has driven into South Australia at the moment. So her and her husband have bought a caravan and they've driven from Sydney uh, to Adelaide and they've been some, spending some time around that Coonawarra area. So I've gone going for a Coonawarra Cabernet to celebrate uh, their trip. What, what do you normally see other than nice Riojas? What do you normally see when you travel across Spain? Well, Spain is similar. You know, when you go through, particularly mi- like the middle of Spain is very Arab. It's very, very yep. dry, hot. Um, I mean, it's not quite desert, obviously, but it's, it's very, very barren. 
Um, right. But then, but then, you know, Spain's obviously a big, big country. And believe you know, it's funny enough, I didn't realize until more recently. And again, I checked it just the other day. I think it's 43 million people only live in Spain, you know, for a country that big in Europe. That's yeah. quite, quite amazing. Um, and it's obviously very vast. And then there's different climates. So if you're close to the Pyrenees, um, it's, it's, it's quite wet and it's very much, um, you know, it could, you could easily say, well, you're almost in parts of Scotland, almost in the amount of rain that there is and how green it is. Um, yeah, no, it's pretty amazing. I love, I love Northern Spain. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And I've got a lot of friends who, who actually are living, who live in Bilbao, come from the Basque area, our, our, our Basque. Um, and then when you ask the question, this is another funny thing is that you ask the, uh, a person from the Basque area, uh, what are they, what do they class themselves? And they go first, I'm, I'm, I'm from that. I'm Bilbao and Basque, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm from that area. That's it. First and foremost. Oh, Basque. Yeah, absolutely. And then, then, and then, uh, then they talk about, um, I think it's like, I can't remember what it was. There was another part they called themselves and then they called themselves Spanish. Right. Which That's was bizarre. like, it was, yeah, yeah they're very, very patriotic about their area. Um, and I'll tell you what, they, and this leads me right into my, my wine today. So because of obviously having a lot of people, a lot of friends from Bilbao and, and when we are on holidays in Spain, down, right down the south, um, which is a place that a lot of people from Bilbao go to holiday in, even though it's about 10 hours straight down the country, um, they, they, they love their wine. They're very, very patriotic about their, their homegrown uh, produce and wine is one of those ones that they're very, very passionate about again. Um, and this is a bottle of wine called a Ramon Bilbao, Criantha. 2017 uh, it's one of quite a few that i've um i've i've tasted over the over over time and it's a delicious little uh wine at uh, rioja and um highly recommend that anyone who goes to spain and particularly if they go to uh well, you can have it anywhere in spain but if you go into into the the basque area and bilbao um which you should do because it's fantastic not only the you've got the guggenheim museum but it's a a wonderful Oops. wonderful city and uh the wine is sensational cheers man so, Mark, for many reasons, as we know, uh, 2020 in the world of football and the world itself has been a bizarre one and a really sad one. We've lost a lot of really notable people in our world, uh, in the football world. And um, as we've you know, talked about, you know, the likes of Diego Maradona and, you know, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a tough couple months in the football world, you know, for, for a few big names. And we, you know, learnt only a matter of hours ago, Mark, of, of another great name that we've lost. Yeah, unfortunately, um, overnight we lost um, a very, very not special person in football, a guy that's um, particularly in this country and, and as you mentioned, up on uh, a Merseyside there um, as, a, as an ex-Liverpool manager, um, very well-known and very well-liked and respected throughout this country and, and the world of football, Gerard Houllier, unfortunately, lost his life overnight, which is very, very sad to hear again. Um, I was fortunate enough on a couple of occasions to spend some time with him. And the last time I really spent any sort of significant amount of time with him, it was for about two hours and it was back in 2016 um, in Milan. And I went across with a couple of mates to, to watch the, the Champions League final. And uh, we caught up with Gerard at uh, his hotel and he was so accommodating. He was so nice. He was just, he was humble. He was passionate about football um, and he was such a joy to be around and he would talk to you about, he'd know everything about football, anything and everything. Um, and he'd know about a moment. You remember a part of the game, he would talk about, uh, his time at running, you know, being at Liverpool and, 
his whole life experiences and and uh he just had such a passion and joy and he was such a nice person uh to sit down and he gave gave his time just to sit there and chat talk all things football so yeah it was really sad to hear overnight that he'd um that he passed away and you can so as you just touched on there with with your experiences with him some of the um you know posts we've seen as well you know the likes of you know Stephen Gerrard's of the world and how highly they speak of him as well. You know, I mean, I've never met him, but you can just tell some of those people in, in this world of football, there's a difference between, uh, you know, when someone talks about having a football brain and he, I almost go, well, what does that mean? But when you talk about someone like or your, your moment with Gerard there, where he, just pick a year, pick a game, pick a moment. And it, it sounds like a really, really, you know, beautiful person to be around to talk football. Yeah, he was. Um, I saw a post from Harry Kuehl, um as well. He was the manager when Harry Kuehl signed for Liverpool. Um, yeah. You know, and, and and there is an outpouring of emotion in with regards to Gerard Houllier and how much the players all loved him. Anyone who had any contact with him really respected him and really um, enjoyed their time with him. Um, you know, he, he won the treble with Liverpool, um, which was quite remarkable. And and uh, he, um, he we sorely missed. That's for sure. So uh, let's raise our glass, I would have thought, Mark, and a big, uh, a big toast to, to you, Gerard Houllier. Absolutely. So, Mark, let's get stuck into the football. Um, I mean, it's a real case of a choose-your-own-adventure. There's so much we need to talk about. I want to delay talking about Arsenal just for a little bit longer. Is that all right? I need to yeah. build up to it. I need to okay. build up with it. You know, get halfway through Makunawara, and then I'll, I'm good to go. I get that. You need to be in the right headspace. Yeah. Correct. You'd be like going in two footed. It'd be a bit like grabbing someone around the throat, wouldn't it? Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez, you got me there. I really, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it'd be like. Ah, jeez. So before we do that, let's talk about, I want to talk about Champions League. The draw for the round of 16 has come out. Some ripping uh, fixtures. Tough one for uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. They take on Man City, Lazio and Bayern Munich. That'll be a really difficult game for them. Uh, I think we can all agree that Atletico Madrid and Chelsea is going to be an absolute ripper. Leipzig, uh, Liverpool. Interesting that they, they've uh, got each other. Porto, Juventus. Mouthwatering prospect in uh, Barcelona and Paris. Sevilla, Dortmund, Atalanta and Real Madrid. Uh, are we looking at Atletico and Chelsea? Is that the one, do we think? Uh, no, I mean the the mouth watering one. I think in terms of names and 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 the, I suppose the iconic players and uh, player playing against the next club has to be Barcelona PSG. I mean Neymar coming up against Barcelona and Messi. Barcelona obviously not being at the level of being in the past, um, but it's still on paper is a huge huge game. I mean this is the thing about Champions League football at this stage of the competition. Every game is a big one. Um, and you could pick out every one of those games for for various reasons and say this is amazing. There's such so, so intriguing. I mean, even you know Sevilla, um, Dortmund, Sevilla with Lepotegi uh, in charge. Sevilla's history and winning the Europa League so successful over the years. Now they're in the big league, they're in the Champions League, and they're in the knockout stage. They come up against a Dortmund side who have just lost their manager. Obviously, the games are not going to take place until later on. Um, next year so a lot can change between now and then so but on paper right this moment they're they're mouth-watering Lazio Bayern uh, Bayern Lazio lost in the weekend Bayern uh, you know drop points against Union Berlin uh, Mönchengladbach have been pretty inconsistent in the Bundesliga this season but been excellent obviously lost their last Champions League game against uh, Real Madrid and only got through because Inter Milan could only manage a draw against Shakhtar Donetsk uh, and a Manchester City who are at the moment kind of misfiring a little bit as well so 
every game, Porto, Juve, Ronaldo going back to Portugal, coming up against Porto, you know, he played for, for Sporting Lisbon. You know, there's so much to talk about. Leipzig, Liverpool, you mentioned. Atletico, Chelsea, the history. My last ever Champions League game. Um, well, my last two Champions League games, which was a semi-final against Atletico Madrid for Chelsea. So okay. there is history there. Atletico won that game. I won the t- one over two legs. Nil-nil in Madrid and we lost 3-1 at home. Um, so yeah, the, the, you can go all day long. Atalanta, Real Madrid. Um, Atalanta last season, they're not quite up there this season in terms of league performances and league form. However, they made the knockout stages of the Champions League and Real Madrid have kind of stuttered a little bit. Yeah. A big win on the weekend against Atletico Madrid, but they've been inconsistent as well. But again, I'll go back to it. These games are still a while away. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. I can't wait already. Um, you know, we, we actually talked about last week, didn't we? We feel like we've been inundated with football. And it's like we can't remember. There's always games on, and then all of a sudden, we don't have Champions League or Europa League this week. And we go, oh, come on. Um, there's no secret uh, here on the Two Sharp Reds that we love our Premier League football, and we, we always will keep a special eye on Premier League sides. So between City, Chelsea, and Liverpool, are we pretty confident all three of those should progress? Or is Chelsea the real, that's going to be the, the question mark? Oh, listen, I think, you know, it's hard because in a couple of months' time is when these games take place. But if, if, they were, if those games were to take place next week, I don't think any of them, either of them are a straightforward fixture for any of the teams. You know, and, and, but, but we're talking a couple of months down the, down the line. So it's so difficult to predict at this stage. Um, on paper, let to go Chelsea is going to be a really, really tight and tough uh, encounter for Chelsea and, and a let to go Leipzig, Liverpool, Leipzig. Um, you know, I, I think after losing to to, uh, sorry, to Manchester United five nil in the Champions League, they've redeemed themselves um, yep. and they deserve to be in the knockout stages. Liverpool, for all their injuries they've had, you know, it's remarkable where they still are in the league. You know, they just lost Jota now for another uh, probably a couple of months. Um, it's ridiculous and they're still where they are. I mean, they're, they're equal points at the top of the table, you know, so they are, they're not far, you know, they're, 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 and and you would hope for Liverpool, you would think, you know, Jota will be back. There'll be a few, maybe a few players, obviously Van Dijk and Gomez are definitely out for, for, for the vast majority of the season. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, again, it's too early to predict right now. Uh, you sent me an unbelievable message this morning. Um, the Champions League draw. Uh, you mentioned that uh, talking about Europa League with uh, all major five leagues in Europe. So La Liga, Premier League, Bundesliga, Syria, and League One. All five leagues. Whoever is on top at the moment, they're all in the Europa League draw. That is bizarre. So you got Real Sociedad, Tottenham, Leverkusen, Milan, and Lille. I mean that. I mean it's 2020, I suppose. Like, when are we when are we going to stop being surprised by things? Yeah, but you know what? It's it's remarkable that it's happened this weekend when today was obviously the draw for Europa League and Champions League. So, but they're all tight, aren't they? There's no one running away with it. They're, they're very very tight. Next week there could be different leaders, but it's just ironic that it happened just this week. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, it is. It's quite it's quite remarkable. And you know, it's it's always you know 2020 has been like no other um Mm -hmm. end of 2021 will be a little bit like 2020 so there will be another one like it kind of yeah um uh, but at the moment 2020 is like no other and it's going to be so unpredictable i think i think i don't i i I don't know i just don't see any league really having a runaway winner Mm. 
in those top five leagues. I think it's going to be a very tight season. There's so many games. Players are still chasing their tails, trying to trying to get back to fitness, find their form. Um, you know, dealing with the fact that I don't care what anyone says. You know, I, I thought initially, I, I thought it was always going to be a challenge for for teams to play without fans. I was at a couple of games on the weekend. I was at the Midlands Derby Wolves against Aston Villa. They didn't have any fans because of being in, in a, in a uh, three lockdown three zone um, or restriction three, and it was kind of. There, there was passion. There were sending offs, but again, it would have been. It's nothing like having a full yeah. stadium with that atmosphere. And then I was at Palace against Spurs, and those two thousand Palace fans made a hell of a difference. You know, it drove Palace on, and yeah. I mean, Tottenham played their part. They dropped off and became more negative, but those fans had a big part to play. And I was, I was doing some radio at the time. And uh, just before kickoff, the managers come out to uh, come out all, out of the um, the tunnel, and the tunnel at uh, Sellers Park is at the corner of one end. Mm-hmm. So you've got to walk down, you know, half the length of the pitch, and they come out at sort of the hardcore end of the Palace fans, and and there were there were obviously a couple of hundred fans there, but they made a noise. I mean, obviously it's not like a full stadium, but they made a tremendous noise. And Roy Hodgson, he's seventy three years old, turned around. He had this biggest smile on his face from ear to ear and he was applauding the crowd for for at least probably 20 30 seconds because he was just you could see it he was like a little kid in a candy shop yeah he just couldn't believe it and he was so excited and that made a huge difference and then there were moments also um in the game when a decision went against palace and the boos were ringing around it was it was it was like you, you literally went well actually hang on wow we've got fans back again yeah and it was so so nice and I said in the commentary, actually, um, don't you love a boo? It's fantastic <laughs> to hear the boos again. And, and it was. It was one of those moments where I, I was like, I got more excited for the fact that people were booing an incident in the game rather than getting too excited about cheering it. It was just, it was just real again. Um, it's funny, though, uh, you know, your thoughts on, on the Crystal Palace game and how that the fans really helped. The, on the other side, uh, and I think I'm ready to talk about it now, Mark, um, given the fact that there's only 2,000 allowed in, it's always going to be a little awkward uh, if the fans actually haven't helped the team uh, and all of a sudden you've got 2,000 fans walking out and booing, oh. uh, which was the case at the Emirates. Isn't, isn't that so Arsenal fans, though? Mm-hmm. A walkout? Do they, do they not love they love it, Mate, they love a walkout. I, they I, love don't, a walkout. I don't get it. Like, you've got 2,000 people who've had the luxury to be chosen to go or get watch a game. And I, I get it. It's their team and they were rubbish, right? I get it. I understand it. But do you not support your team through thick and thin? Do you not yeah. stay there until the end? You've got you to suffer it. You've got to go through it. And, and particularly at this moment in time when they've had like eight, nine months, 10 months, whatever it is, without fans in a game. And it's just like, I, I just don't get it. I don't understand why they walked out. I really don't. All, I, all I'd say is that it is a privilege to be able to get tickets in this scenario. So I'm like, well, okay, I totally respect that. But it's going to people that have season tickets, you know, that have gone all their life. You know, if, if someone was flying over from Australia and this was their first Arsenal game and they, you couldn't believe their luck, there's no way they're walking out, even but, if it was 10 nil to Burnley. Yeah, but, but let's be honest, there's no one flying over from Australia to watch an Arsenal game right now. Nor, nor, uh, no, nor are they watching any game. I'm not, no. not, not having a dig at Arsenal here. I'm talking about that there isn't anyone flying over. So there's no, no, there's no international fans really coming in. So, uh, you know, listen, of course you've got to give it to season ticket holders 100%. I, I just question 
the the support. I question that. I've been in those situations before, whereby you've um, you know you you're under pressure. You're in a really bad run of form. Everything's going against you. The performances are not good enough. Hundred percent. And you've got to hold your hand up as players. But and and you understand when fans voice their disapproval. But you also need their support. You need them to try and help you get out of it. You know because sometimes that extra bit of support in the stadium on that particular day, that moment in the game can make a difference. Can so what breaks the cycle though in this scenario? Because it just feels like a dog chasing its ch- uh, tail. You know, fans want, you know, the, the team to win because, you know, the, they need that. And, you know, they're, they're paying a lot of money to see their, uh, their team win, but they're not supporting them because they're not winning, but they're not winning arguably because they're not getting any support. Yeah. Because so what, I mean, part, it's, it's not because if they're not winning. They're not, it's not that they're not winning games because they've got no support. They have got support. It's just the type of support that they're receiving at the moment. What actually ended up happening, and I've, I've had this before and I've experienced it before, where you're in the, cha- you're in the change rooms and the, the word, the talk comes up, right, forget that lot out there because they're not going to support us right now. We have to get ourselves back on, on track to get them back on track and get them back on our side. So you're almost left in a scenario where, it's them against you almost, and you've, and you've got to do it yourself. You can't rely on That's not healthy, though, is it? No, it can't but, be but, healthy. But that happens because it, I think because of the relationship is so soured and so there's such a division um, that the only way that you get out of it is by that group of players in that change room. The manager, the players, turning it around and having to win the support back again. And Where did that happen way- to you? Oh, it happened at various times at, at Middlesbrough. I mean, I was there for nearly 12 years. So you, you have up and down mm. periods. It didn't, actually, it didn't actually happen at Fulham because, I mean, I think, we, you know, even though we got to a European Cup final, I just think they realised that that was just a remarkable accomplishment and it was potentially only ever a one-off. Um, and they were just happy with staying in the league from that point onwards and, and maybe trying to build on it and try and go on another European run, get into European places somehow. But they kind of understood that it was so tough. Mm-hmm. I think with Middlesbrough, because it was a, over a longer period of time, we won the cup two years prior, the, the league cup. We, we toyed with the idea a few times. We played European football this season before and got knocked out of the quarters against Sporting Lisbon. And then we qualified on the very end of the last season, the last game of the season um, for the Europa League again. And we went on that run. And they kind of thought we'd kick on and go to it. They wanted, they believed that we we're going to go on to another level. They thought there was a lot of talk from a lot of fans that right now we're going to go for Champions League positions. Now we're going to take it to another step. But we were way off it. And then if you look at the cutbacks that were made, Steve McCarran left. He turned, he put, put um, Gareth Southgate from player into manager, first ever job. And Gareth, if you talk to Gareth right now about it, and I've, I have spoken to Gareth about it in, in, over, to, over the last couple of years, and he said, yeah, at the time, it was just, I was, it was too soon for me. You know, but it was a job that I couldn't turn down. And, and getting to coming to terms with how big a job it was. He mm. wanted to go into management, but and I remember him saying to me once, in hindsight, I probably should have fulfilled my last year of my contract in terms of playing and then looked to get into management. But... He said it was so difficult to say no because when you've got a club that's established team in the Premier League offering you the opportunity to become manager, how do you turn that down? Mm. So I understand why he took it, but it was a hell of a gamble. And in the end, unfortunately, it didn't kind of pay off. Um, and, th- and that's not down to him necessarily because there were a lot of cutbacks. There were a lot, a lot of, time, uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, decisions made where they were reducing the wage bill. They were reducing the, the spend on the team. 
and they were trying to get through with young talent and they were trying to rebuild a team. They did it too quickly. They made the wrong decisions with so many players. Um, and ultimately that cost them. And now they've become that team that, well, they're not even a yo-yo team anymore. They've just become a team that will pop up every now and then and, and, and try their luck in the Premier League. And now they're a, they're, lit, they're a championship side that are hopeful to get promotion. And they're kind of now at the moment, they're definitely still top half of the table. But, but at the moment, they're looking only just. So it's an interesting um, point you bring up about Gareth. And, you know, it must be so difficult to turn down a job like that. So when we're talking about this game in particular uh, with Arsenal, um, you know, it, it, clearly Mikel Arteta has learned from the best. He wants to be a manager. Arsenal come knocking. It's going to be very difficult to say no. But do we think now in hindsight, he, he, he should have been maybe thinking a little bit like Gareth was thinking it's too big, big of a step. It's too big because... One thing I don't want is for his career to end before it starts. You know, this could be a really, really horrible... What I mean, it already is a pretty horrible way to, to kick your, your career off. But one thing I would say, do we, do we need to remember... And we know what Arsenal fans are like. They're very, very present, I'd say, online. And they're, they're very vocal. Um, you know, get him out, all that sort of stuff. But when you look at that game, how much of it was really to blame on Mikel Arteta? I mean, Xhaka... You, uh, uh, we could have been managed by literally anyone in the world. You go like that. Yeah, he, madness. He was let down massively by his players, and unfortunately, he was met, he was let down massively by one of his more experienced players. And that would be for Mikel Arteta probably one of the most difficult things to take. You could argue all day long about tactics and about um, about team selections and so forth. But if you pick a team and you you believe that you have the right team, the right mix. And particularly, you've got a bunch of experienced players that you're relying heavily on. And one of your most experienced players lets you down in that way. I mean, no manager could really predict that. So I feel for, for Mikel Arteta in this instance. Um, but overall, I mean, the, the team are where they are, partly because of, or, or because of Mikel Arteta. And he's, they all, they're all together. You know, they're all joining together. It's all, they all have to take responsibility for it. And then the club get to a point where they make a decision. They say, well, okay, is it the manager's problem? Is it his fault, sorry? Or is it that the players are not good enough and the players all need to be changed? 99.9% of the time, the club won't change all the players. They'll change the manager because that's the easiest one. One person needs to replace rather than 11, 12, 15 players, whatever they want to do. So he ultimately is going to be the full guy if it comes to that. And, and to go back to your, your, your question whether or not he should have taken the job, or has he taken it too soon? No, listen, he, 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 he did his apprenticeship, so to speak. I mean, the one thing you may, you may ask is that, and question, and, and I actually do this, I do question a lot, a lot of managers' um, decisions when that comes to playing a style of football and playing a style of football that doesn't necessarily support or suit the players that you have at your disposal. And, and there's a transitional period. So you want to play a certain way, but then you've got to identify whether or not you have the players to play that. And even if you go for it and you try it, it doesn't work. You've got to make, you've got to adapt things. You've got to change your style a little bit to suit the players that you have to then get you to a certain point mm-hmm. and then come that next transfer window. You hope to change things. You know, you try and bring in one or two more players that will suit the way you play. But what manage, a lot of managers do, they, play, they change everything to play a certain way right from the off and they won't change anything because that's the, that's the way they want to play. And that's the way football should be played in their eye or that's how their style is and they won't change anything. 
I, I mean, I, I think that's all wrapped in management. You've got to be able to identify the type of players you have, the type of the squad that you have, and decide whether or not they are good enough and suited to the way you ideally would like to play. And if not, then you've got to find alternative ways to at least mm. to at least sort of look like that team, but you work towards it. And it may take some time to work towards it, but you've got to be competitive. You've got to win games still. You've got to get points on the table. And then as a, gen, as a gradual transition of changing a team into a certain style. Uh, is it clear to you from an outsider's point of view that, that Arsenal have a discipline problem? And not in terms of if you were to compare some of these players to like a... Um, Say, for example, a Jack Grealish who's been seen, you know, breaking you know, lockdown rules for parties. And, you know, there's, there's Arsenal don't seem to have that sort of issue when it comes to discipline. But when you think about in the last calendar year, for example, you've got the Gwenduzi incident at Brighton and what's sort of going on there. You've got Saliba who's still posting about how he, on Instagram he feels he's locked up. You've got Pepe who's headbutting. You've got even El Nenny in that game in, against Burnley. Like he's. Like, it just feels like there's a, a genuine discipline problem. That's that's how I, I'm looking at it. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a fine line, isn't there, between showing passion, being being assertive or aggressive on a football pitch, to fouling and just making stupid decisions. And what you saw on the weekend with Arsenal, and to particularly, you know, Granit Xhaka and El Nini, they're they're both experienced players, made stupid decisions. El Nini was very very fortunate. Uh, I, I thought he'd be sent off. I thought, it was, I thought it was very, very fortunate not to get a red card. Um, and if the ball were in play, it would have been a penalty as well. So, um, you know, <laughs> to me, I think that reeks of a team that is under enormous amount of pressure. They're feeling the pressure. They're feeling they've got frustration. And whether that's to do with frustration with partly to do with the manager, the way they're playing, the team's playing or not playing. Certain players are not performing. I think there's a combination of everything. The pressure they feel from the fans, from the media. They know, listen, Arsenal Arsenal at this rate are in genuine danger of being sucked into a relegation fight, which is just ridiculous to think that that's well, even they, possible. They already are in one at the moment. Like, uh, well, I, I know what, still, 12 games in? Yeah, okay. it's still very, very early. So I wouldn't class them into being that regular, that, that genuine fight for survival just yet. But they are in danger of being one of those teams who are not careful. And, and this whole thing about, you know, you're too good to go down. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. There's none of that. There's none of that. If you're not organized enough, if you haven't got the confidence, you haven't got the unity, um, the right type of personnel, the right type of characters in that change room, you're, you can be in trouble. Is it bad for me to say as a, as a massive fan, and don't worry, I am, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit, but I kind of wouldn't mind seeing what would happen if they went down. Just almost just like a, a total circuit breaker, a shock to the system. It would start to, to scare teams again. It might be an opportunity to almost strip the club down and build it back up from the start. It'd just be interesting to see what would happen. Well. I mean, we've seen what's happened with Leeds, I suppose. Yeah. So I don't no, no, really I mean, and, and very much, you know, you could say that that Leeds side that got relegated, how was that even possible? Yeah. It doesn't matter. It, it's kind of almost that Leeds side that got relegated is far better side than this Arsenal side is right now. I really? believe. Yeah. Wow. So, so that, that's the warning, you know, the, the warning is if you don't get things right, and then obviously, clearly, Leeds didn't have things right on the football pitch or off the football pitch because it all led to their demise. Um, and and that, the danger is at, at Arsenal is that 
I, I don't think it'll come to it. Listen, I, I think Arsenal are way too good for that. And I think they will get it right. Whether they get it right with Mikel Arteta or someone else is a different conversation. But oh, geez, how funny would it be and how brilliant would it be if Pochettino took over as manager? Oh, oh. my God. Imagine if when Pochettino gets asked that question, Poch, we fancy you. Um, who am I speaking to? Um, it's, um, <laughs> it's Arsenal. <laughs> imagine uh, him, like, can imagine I just him say choking, how, choking on his cornflakes. Uh, how good would the North London derby be with oh, Jose God. in one end, <laughs> Poch He's, in the other? Oh, it's mate. one of those ones. Poch has said it himself, oh, I, would nev- I could never manage Real Madrid. And how he regretted saying that. It's like Jose saying, I, could, I would never, ever manage Tottenham. And look yeah. where we are. You know, uh, it's, I, I get there's a sense of loyalty, right? And I get that. You have a relationship with a group of fans. But, you know, we are in, you know, we're in year 2020, mm. almost 21. And, you know, yes, there's rivalry, there's, there's the derbies, but no longer is a case. It's a sin that you can't go from one to the other because it's happened over time and it will continue to happen. And it happens more often, I think, these days than it ever has. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I... Oh, like, the longer Poch goes without a job, and if the Arsenal opportunity comes up, career-wise, would be mad not to take it. Because yeah. what a job that is. It's an amazing job to take. Won't be long, I promise. Back to Ollie and Mark in just 15 seconds. If you enjoy Two Sharp Reds, though, make sure you search The Gig and Pod wherever you get your podcasts. David Weiner is joined by thousands of games of experience both on and off the field. It's a great listen. G-E-G-E-N-P-O-D, The Gig and Pod. Okay, back to Two Sharp Reds. Half done drinks here on the Two Sharp Reds. Just thought it was an appropriate time to get into Makunawara Cabernet. Uh, yeah. Um, After that, I think you need it. I deserve it. I don't know. There's uh, well, need, there's well, deserve. Do, well. you, do you deserve it? Let's be honest to you. I just think you need it. Hey, Mark, uh, yesterday um, had a good moment. Um, that, you know, it was sad that you weren't there, really. Uh, in the last 15 minutes of the game between Fulham and Liverpool, yep. had a nice mulled wine oh, in the rain. Yeah, and I was watching it. and You were watching it in what, the rain? No, well, as in... <clears throat> There's a, a bar near me that's outside, but it's got okay. the roof um, yep. and they've got the, the screens up. And I, I, don't, I didn't know what was better, you know, my mild wine or, or oh. that game. Yeah, it was a great game, wasn't it? It was, it was entertaining. Fulham deservedly should have been probably even more up in, in, in the first half. Unfortunate, um, I think very unfortunate with the penalty decision that went against them in terms of not getting a penalty. I think it was that close. It was so tough to call. Even with the VAR, it was still, I mean, it's still people are divided in, in terms of whether it should have been a penalty or not. I'm, I'm not sure because I haven't really seen it well enough on the, with the VAR, VAR decision and the video replay, so I can't really say. I just know it was really, really tight. Mm. Um, and obviously, the Liverpool penalty was a penalty. I, I've got no complaints about that. that. That, to me, yeah, definitely a penalty. Um, Ariola played his part, played really well. Thought he should have saved the penalty as though he moved too much. Because he's that good. Like I, I just thought he he got a hand on it. He be you could see his reaction. He was really kind of like upset, disappointed that he didn't save it. Because I thought he was going to save it. He's a very good goalkeeper. And and listen, I take my hand. I hold my hand up. Fulham surprised me. Last three games, they have been a team that looks like they have a chance to stay in the Premier League. But it's only off three games, right? But the signs there are very positive. To pick up four points out of nine against Leicester. Manchester City and Liverpool. Huge. Well, that, that would have, they would have taken, they would have signed off on that months ago. Mm. So, they're, so they're now sitting at two wins, two draws, eight losses, so eight points. 
uh, which also means they are only, oh, that's good, only five points away from Arsenal. So that's good. Uh, I'm just doing the maths here. Uh, but they're one point out of the relegation zone. So, yeah, is it time to start thinking that, not that they're going to kick on and, you know, finish mid-table, but do we think that they've shown enough to suggest that they've got enough bottle in them to get themselves out of a scrap when push comes to shove? Listen, it's going to be topsy-turvy all season for, for the likes of Fulham. Um, yep. What Fulham have to do is they have to, they have to try and be that, that 17th team. Mm. That's what they need to aim for. Anything above that is an absolute bonus, of course. But 17th is, is their goal. And if they can just stay in the league this season and then build upon that platform, that is the challenge. It's a bit like what Villa did last season. So we just need a goal line decision to go our way. Don't turn the machine on when they're sure. up our end. Yep. And then we can yep. stay up. But you know what I mean? Like it, it's just totally. it's having, you, they've got to earn the respect, earn the right. Um, and they, they've, the positive thing about it this time around Fulham, as opposed to a couple of years ago, we're 12 games in and they look a hell of a lot more positive now than they did back then. Back then when Yukanovic uh, was the manager, they made, after 12 games, they'd, they'd actually replaced the goalkeeper. They had three different goalkeepers they'd been playing. They didn't play with the same team once. There was no kind of understanding of who their best team was. Um, and they were all over the place. And they basically, they were gone before the season even started, really. Um, whereas this one, I, I, I do give them a chance now. Whereas a couple of weeks ago, and, and for a number of weeks, I just thought there was no hope at all. Are we comfortable in riding off Sheffield United? No wins, one draw, 11 losses, so the one point. Sheffield United are one of those sides that they know what it's like to stay in the Premier League. They had an amazing season last season. The vast majority of the team is still the same side. And they, I think they're one result away from potentially going on a bit of a run. And they could go on a run. I think that one of the issues is going to be that I don't think fans will be back into the stadiums until probably around April time. Maybe in even Sheffield. later. Yeah, well, that part across of the, the country, but but like I mean, a substantial amount of fans. You know, we're getting sure. back to some sort of normality. Hopefully, fingers crossed, right? I, it's yeah. my, just my own personal view, and I think that'll be way too late for Sheffield United. And I think they're one of the teams that are struggling without any fans, um, and and they've been affected by by the you know being one of the the most affected sides. So, Mark, preview time, massive game. This Wednesday, uh, between Liverpool and Tottenham. Now, this is going to be a seriously, seriously... I thought you were going to say Fulham against Brighton. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. There's some big games no matter where you look, to be honest, mate, aren't there? You yeah. just go, you know, Arsenal-Southampton. Well, uh, I mean, well... Leicester-Everton. That's, that's an away win, isn't it? Away oh, win, yeah. Arsenal-Southampton's <laughs> away win. That, that, that's, that's odds on, if I were, that's a, if I were totally. a betting man. Uh, no, but we've got to talk about Liverpool-Tottenham. I'm so excited for this. So we're currently looking at first versus second. They've both got seven wins, four draws, one loss, sitting at 25 points. How do you reckon, and you've been in big games, um, that infamous game in 2014 under Jose, how would he be, prepare, be preparing for this, do you think? I think he'll be pretty much preparing very much the same way as when they were playing against Manchester City. They'll go out there. They'll look to sit back. They know they won't have as much of the ball as, as say, Liverpool. And they will look to be that side again that counters them and are ruthless on the counter. I saw an interesting table today or or a couple of tables today. um, And it's um, the first half performances of a team after 12 games, what, what the table would look like. And Spurs are top. 
And then when they put the table up of the second half, um, 45 minutes, what the table would look like. And it was Liverpool top and Spurs were way off. So it's, it's literally, if it's going true to form as it has so far this season, it's, it's going to be literally a tale of two halves. <laughs> as it tends to be, as it tends to be with with Spurs when Spurs play and Liverpool this season, is that you know one one half is not their best, and then the second, and then then, then the other half has been their best. Um, uh, you know what you expect from them, and Spurs were very much like that on the weekend against Crystal Palace. First half they were good, they were dominating, they had possession, they should have scored more. Um, they got lucky with the goal they scored because Guaita uh, made a made a mistake, but. You know, funny enough, like he made a mistake that cost him a goal for Palace, but he was the best player on the pitch yeah. because he made some brilliant saves and he was, he was the way he recovered, the way he performed before the mistake. Then the way, even more impressive, was the way that he recovered from the mistake. So Spurs didn't protect their chances, didn't put the opposition away. Um, Liverpool probably were fortunate enough only to be a goal down against Fulham. Mm. And so second half performance was far more befitting a, a Liverpool side. And... Uh, um, so it's going to be a, a really, really intriguing encounter between the two. Liverpool can't start badly again. Um, and uh, Spurs can't drop off like they did in the second half against Palace because they'll get punished by Liverpool. This seems like the sort of game, though, um, you know, we've, as fans, we've been really lucky with um, you know, getting that insight uh, through Amazon as to you know, the way Jose speaks to his players and his mindset and you know, learning a bit more about him. But this strikes me as the sort of game where this is, this, he comes into his own. Like, this, right, how can I... Is there a psychological edge? Is there something that I can do or say to certain players? You know, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me, as we've seen Deli Ali. Mate, you know, just the, the old appearance now for Tottenham. It wouldn't surprise me if he did something, you know, in the next couple of days to pump him right up. Delhi starts and has an absolute blinder. Yeah, you know what? Watching the game the other night, I mean, Delhi came on. Um, he hasn't featured very much this season at all under Jose. And there's been a lot of speculation about him leaving the club in January. Um, PSG, the likely destination at this moment in time, if you believe the rumours. Um, I, I just can't see him getting in the side really at the moment. Um, I, I just think that Jose has his has his kind of formation. He has his team. He has his players that he believes are the right ones. And where's Delhi going to play? You know, whose position, whose place is he going to take from that current starting eleven side? I mean, obviously Kane Son's not going to be replaced unless they're injured. There's no way in the world that he's going to take take anything from those guys. Um, you look at midfield Hoiberg and, and Sissoko. I, there's no way in the world Delhi would do that same job anyway. Um, yep. So I, I just find it difficult to see how Delhi Ali in his current form, um, when I say current form, uh, you know, the, the way that he plays, full stop, I just don't see where, I mean, and, and on Belly, he's a different player. You know, he's a, he's a completely different player now. He's rolled his sleeves up, which I have to take my off to him because he's rolled his sleeves up. He's taken on the chin, the criticism, and he's gone, right, I'm going to prove him wrong, the manager. And that's the thing about Jose. If you, he may have a dig at you. And a lot of the times, 99% of the time, if he has a dig at you, it's because you, you need it, because you've made a mistake and you need it. And he wants a response. And he feels that this is the best way I'm going to get a response from. He may be wrong. Sometimes he gets that wrong. It's only normal. But most of the time he gets it right. And it really depends. When I say gets it right, he gets it right in terms of, I sit back and go, he's done the right thing there. Now, what the interesting thing is, how does the player react? And initially, Endem Burley threw his toys out of the pram, had a bit of a sulk. Well, that's what, how it came across. 
and something's happened in the meantime and he's obviously rolled his sleeves up and gone right okay i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna prove you wrong and he has and not proved him wrong proved him right in a lot of ways because jose's pushed the buttons to try and lift him to the, the level that he knows he can play or at least he expects him to be able to play it. And Andombele is starting to do that. He's starting to be that player that he was at Lyon. Because once he came to Spurs, he wasn't that player anymore and he was nowhere near at that level. So Jose is getting him back to that level, which or helping him get him back to that level. Obviously, it's down to the player. And, and he's doing that. Um, Steven Bergwin, where's Deli Ali going to play? He's not going to play ahead of this guy because this guy works. Yeah. And he was like, at, at times... Um, Serge Aurier, if he was caught out or if he was tucked inside, picking up a runner, uh, Stephen Bergwin was right back there, right back. The work rate was insane. And Jose loves that. Son, work rate is brilliant. Harry Kane, every one of those players works their socks off. Um, Delielli, I just don't know what he brings. If he brings, brings him on late, maybe as an aerial threat in the box, you know, do something from something, you know, like from nothing, create something from nothing, maybe, ball pops down, maybe. Otherwise, I just don't seem currently fitting in this side. Mark, before we wrap things up here on the Two Sharp Reds, it's time that we swap our red wine for a very nice Weissbier. Cross over to your part of the world uh, in Germany for your Bundesliga update because we touched on it when talking about Champions League uh, football and Dortmund in the news that they have sacked Favre. Um, I mean, talk to me. What, what's going on? What's, what's happening with it? Yeah, so uh, Lucien Favre, it's no surprise that, he, that he's lost his job. Um, there's been speculation for, a, a, number of, uh, for a, a number of seasons now. There are times where they've dipped in form a little bit and there was talk about whether or not he was the right man for the job. And there, there, were, there was a real split as to whether or not people believed he was or not. And then obviously he's kept, on, he's kept hold of his job and he's done a pretty, you know, pretty, pretty good job really considering they sell players, they're bringing another young crop of players, young players, and they bring them through and they've done really, really well. But... Unfortunately, due to the, the poor form, particularly league form of late, they've only won one in five. Um, going back to, they lost to, to Bayern Munich at home on the, on the 7th of November. From that point onwards, they only won one game in the league. And that was a way to how to Berlin. Um, they, won a, they won a couple of Champions League games in between, which was obviously always a bit of a positive. But they want to be competitive. They want to be up there or thereabouts for the Bundesliga title. And now they're a bit off the pace. They lost to Cologne, which is a kind of a local derby um, and then they drew to Frankfurt and then on the weekend was the final nail in the coffin. And I think it was more about the way that they lost the game. They lost 5-1. They got hammered, of course, mm-hmm. against Falfbeer Stuttgart, a newly promoted side in the Bundesliga. So it just really rubbed salt into the wound. And well, because they've only lost four games though. So it really, that, you, you think it's more the way that they're losing, not that the fact that they, they yeah, are. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think it's the same old problems that are kind of reoccurring. You know, it's not, it's not like whenever they dip in form, it's, it's because of the same problems, the way that they're playing and, and the style of football he's trying to get his players to play. And, and, and a lot of poor decisions from, from players in the pitch and particularly younger players that they allow to express themselves all the time. And then, you know, if you want to, if you need to be competitive in the league and, you need to be competitive in the Champions League, plus produce players. You need to be, you're going to have to do a lot more right on the football pitch. And at times they make too many mistakes because they're allowing the young players to just go and express themselves at times. And, and, and I think it's the case of not really getting hold of these guys enough as a manager and letting them like, make mistakes, but then they've got to learn. 
you know, but, but what happens is that the same mistakes are reoccurring and more often than not the same players are making those mistakes. So yeah, I think in the end they just decided this is, you know, this is done. All the talk is that they've agreed a deal with, uh, Marco Ross from Borussia Mönchengladbach to take over as manager in the summer. That's the speculation at the moment. It seems pretty, pretty um, certain. I, I straight away thought, you know, Arsenal target, Mauricio Pochettino, yeah. would, be a, would be a great fit for them. Um, what about Allegri? Was it- um, yeah, maybe. Maybe. That, I mean, the, the question is, I, I, I'm just trying to think, Allegri, when you, look at, when you think about Allegri at Juve, there's no doubting his experience and his qualities and his one titles. You know, I'm not going to disagree with that one bit. But I'm kind of trying to think about that mixture of developing young players having success in the team with Juve he had a lot of experienced players and he managed those very, very well. There wasn't a lot of young players coming through and at Dortmund, they need to do that. They need to bring through young players. I mean, you know, you see it time and time again, whether it's Sancho, um, Reina, um, you know, Bellinghurst, it's the young players that are coming through Bellinghurst, Bellingham coming through. And it's important that they keep developing, developing these young players um, and giving them experience and then for, for the view of then shipping them on to, to make a huge profit out of it. And, uh, and I just don't see Allegri doing that. Whereas Mauricio Pochettino, I think that's a perfect fit. Mark, let's talk shop. It's time to wrap things up here on the Two Shop Reds and discuss uh, red wine. I've really liked the Coonawarra Cabernet. So, of course, it's from the Coonawarra region in South Australia. Pretty much has the reputation of producing the country's best Cab Sav. Um, it's ripe, uh, really nice black currant fruits, um, very generous and satisfying. Um, it, it does say here, though, that it goes perfectly with the Sunday roast or veal. Now, you're the sort of man that I think would go for the veal over the Sunday roast, wouldn't you? Well, in, in terms of the veal as the meat in the Sunday roast. Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I, do, I do like my, my veal. I'm not going to doubt that. That's, that's not going to argue with that. Uh, also goes perfectly with a grilled lamb steak oh, recipe. Love that. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look love at my you. lamb. Oh, I'm salivating. <laughs> Look at that. Have oh. you had the, the uh, tomahawk steak, by the way? Or I have, yes. right up your yeah, room? I have, yeah. You know what? I had it. I had it in the summer. I had it in a restaurant down in the south of Spain near Cardiff, and the meat came from Bilbao because they are a big producer of meat in Spain, which is beautiful. Uh, so I'll kick things off. I'll just get things underway here and comparing my player uh, to this bottle of wine. There's a few things that stand out. Uh, ripe, so this wine and players supposed to be in, in sort of their the, the best form of their career, supposedly. Uh, it does say it's supposed to be a satisfying wine, but I'm going to say it was unsatisfying for me. I think I wanted it to be so satisfying because of, you know, it, well, because it said, and I went, actually, you know what? I'm slightly unsatisfied by this. Also, a lot of variant expressions. Um, so in, in terms of uh, lots of varying expressions in a player, you know, this is a man who, who can you know, do anything on any day, very unpredictable, but his face normally tells the story uh, and it's normally quite unsatisfying. Um, there's a, a lot of erratic tastes um, in this one in terms of, I don't, it's, I'm not a massive Cab Sab fan, so I don't really know what it's, like, what am I tasting? Whereas when I have a Shiraz or a Pinot, it feels very clear to me, but there's a lot of erratic tastes that I can't pinpoint, which also leads me on to the fact that I feel like there's an unspecific use for, for me. I don't, 
what's it for? You know, really, it says it's nice for a Sunday roast or with veal or with the grilled lamb recipe. You know, it's just, it's all a bit up in the air for me. Um, so when I think about ripe in age, unsatisfying, erratic tastes with an unspecific use, I think it's uh, harsh of me, but probably appropriate that I, I compare this player to, to one granite shaka. <laughs> Good. That's yeah. all right. Uh, made me chuckle. I like it. Yeah, you like that one, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> made, me, made, me, made me chuckle, yeah. I, I like it when I make you laugh. It's just yeah. Like, yeah, good. That's very good. Right. Um, mine is uh, Ramon Bilbao Criantha, 2017 Rioja. Um, delightful wine. I've had it on a number of occasions. Uh, Rioja, we know this full-bodied, strong, nice taste. Um, if you love your your big, fruity, big... Um, heavy wines or Rioja is always a, always a, a good one. And you, you know, it's right up your rally again. Uh, but I do, I do like them. I, I do really like, it's funny because it, like we, as you know, uh, and any regular listeners will know that I'm not necessarily a big Shiraz fan. Um, but you know, I kind of contradict myself when it comes to uh, Rioja because it's pretty strong and full bodied normally as well. This one is um, well balanced, fruity character and friendly uh-huh. way. Um, it's a long finish with balsamic and fruity notes. Balsamic. Um, That's yeah. it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It has, uh, it's intense nose, red fruits, berries of the forest, licorice, sweet spices. So remember that sweet spices. Okay. Yeah. Um, because that's going to have a bit of influence on, on my decision um, or yeah. my comparison to a player. Um, and uh, it's something that uh, I have to say this player who I, who I know is very friendly. So fruity character uh, in a friendly way. Um, he's got a, he's a, he's a, it's a long, a longish sort of finish in terms of his career, his position. Um, he's well balanced. And maybe that's got to do with a sense that he's got a bit of quite a low center of gravity sort of balance of, you know, he's quite lower centered, quite shortish. Um, you know, he's let's say fruity character. He's full of character. He's a really good guy. Once you get to know him, and is this just, me? You, sorry, you yeah, what's well, close? <laughs> I mean, similarities, I suppose, um, in terms of low, low sort of center of gravity. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the sweet spices. So when you think of spices, you're thinking of Asian. Oh, I do anyway. When I think of spices, and um, he's he's a he's a guy that uh, I spent a bit of time with when I was at Leicester City. If that helps you in any way. Yeah, I know, and man. Because this wine is from the Basque area, he is he is playing in northern Spain and had a tremendous season last season with a very, very unfancied side. And they got promoted into La Liga from the second division in Spain. And I messaged him um, after, after that happened. And he was delighted, of course. And he said to me that he was then staying in Spain for another season. And funny enough, we had organised that I was going to come over. They were going to play Bilbao. On the, they're playing Bilbao on the 20th of December. Uh, so I'll wait to Bilbao and I was going to go over there. And because of all our friends in Bilbao, we were hopeful. We were very optimistically hopeful um, that maybe we'd be able to go to a game and, 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 and watch it. But unfortunately, that's never going to be the case. Um, and we're not going to be able to go to Spain, unfortunately. But uh, it's none other than Shinji, Shinji Okasaki who plays for Huesca. In La Liga, what a what a man that mate. That's one of your best comparisons. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've never met him, but that is exactly the way he looks. So friendly, Mark. Uh, 
you did the intro uh, this time around, so I'll do your job and do the outro uh, for Two Sharp Reds. But uh, that's all the time we've got uh, here on the Two Sharp Reds. It's been a fantastic episode. We've we've cried, we've laughed, we've you know. We've, well, you've cried anyway. I've haven't. cried, you've laughed. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. There you go. Uh, we've got some big games coming up, plenty going on. Uh, stay around these channels and, and get in touch with with us uh, on Two Sharp Reds on Facebook, in our private Facebook group, because we will have that Q&A coming up, uh, which I'm very much looking forward to. Um, and also, uh, keep in touch with everything around the Optus Sport and the podcast world. we gig and pod guys. They'll be doing some great stuff, and uh, there's always plenty of things going on. So, Mark, until then, cheers. Cheers, mate. And you're right. There is a big gang up. Fulham against Brighton and Hove Albion. I'll tell you what, I can't <laughs> wait for that one. Strap yourselves in. Good luck. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.